Okay, we are live on another edition of the Edlow Podcast. I am here with Mark Hunter Brooks. Hello, Mark. How are you? Hey, how are you, Josh? I'm, I'm doing great. Thanks for asking, and thanks for coming on the podcast. You know, you're um, you're another interesting one for me because I, I was taking a look at your profile, and you uh, very interesting. You're the author of a book called Earth's Hidden Reality. You have had several spiritual experiences mm-hmm. over uh over two decades and um you talk about kind of the intersection if that's a better a way to put it about uh, the intersection between the spiritual world the physical world and kind of uh kind of wavelengths right and how that kind of can explain it absolutely boy it'll it'll take me a while but if you're willing to listen <laughs> This I am. Okay. I am. I am willing, uh, to, willing to listen because, you know, the thing that's interesting real quick is I've found it very interesting how there seems to be kind of two camps. There's the camp of everything is material, right. you know, in the science. Right. And then there's faithful people. And it seems almost like if you're religious, you just don't want to believe in science at all. And then if you're a scientist, right. you don't want to believe in religion at all. I love so, it. So if you've got a way to interconnect it, I want to hear it. Well, that's exactly what I have, and okay. uh, I want to use the metaphysical to link them together. Okay. What do you so, What do you mean by metaphysical? What does that mean? What What people consider mediumship, healing, uh, channeling, all this other stuff, all these things that I they call them psychic abilities or paranormal abilities. I call them spiritual abilities, and I can show how they all link with science and with religion. And what I'm trying to get to is a common worldview. And that that's what I think is is the holy grail for me, if you want to use a religious term. Um, mm. But let me step back a little bit. I, I started having spiritual experiences about 20 years ago and uh, happened quite by accident. You know, I was playing around and, and I say in the book, you know, don't play around. Always have a mentor if you're interested in doing this stuff. And uh, mm. I even titled the chapter of... of uh, in the book, you know, fools go where angels fear to tread, hmm. you know, so, so don't mess around on your own with this stuff. Find somebody who's been there, done that to kind of help give you a, a positive or, you know, a pleasant experience. And, and what do you mean by, sorry, let me, let me stop you right there. What you mean by that is playing around with this metaphysical stuff. Yes. Okay. Like, because, because in my head, as you're talking, I'm going like, okay, so are we talking about like, Ouija boards and seances. What are you talking about? Let me, let me, let me uh, go. I'll take a couple steps back and work up to it, but I'm going to get there. Okay. Okay. So um, when I started having these experiences over 20 years right now, uh, I can see things, I can hear things and I can feel things. Mm -hmm. Um, I've, I've seen entities, you know, in my room at night, you know, when it's dark, lots of them. Uh, hmm. I've seen entities in, in my front room during the day moving, moving around. Um, they're mostly, uh, a lot of them look, and this, this is my book. Uh, I put one of them on the cover of the book so you can see what it looks like. Um, that's a, that's what you're saying is an entity, an entity. That's, that's one, but there's all different kinds of shapes and sizes and, and different, different, uh, components of it. So anyway, that's, that's where I am now. And I've written four books and earth's hidden reality is the fourth book. But what I tried to do in my first three books, and the first one came out in 2016 
was uh, I, I have a strong religious background. You know, mm. grew up Southern Baptist, went to a Church of Christ for a number of years, too. Mm. Uh, very steeped in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I wanted to do in my first books was to uh, address skeptics and atheists who say, show me proof and show me evidence. When they ask people of faith who don't know the scientific method, you know, who don't know how to collect evidence that a scientist mm-hmm. would look for or whatever, um, I wanted to try and do something that was objective that I could give to scientists to say, all right, here's your proof and here's your evidence for what people believe in faith and mm. that this stuff is really real. Mm. So that's that's where I started. And this fourth book is just kind of expanded on it uh, mm. because what I've come to is in, in trying to understand all this stuff is that physics is different from what people generally believe. People mm. can say it's either quantum mechanics based or it's particle based, but I say it's fully wave based is mm. that we're, we're just packets or groups of waves uh, here in our environment. All the objects around us are all waves mm-hmm. and I'm trying to build the case for it in this book. But one mm. of the unique things that I tried to do in this book too, is to address the scientific community. Uh, I did recommendations for experiments to falsify my claims. And that's mm. something key in the scientific method is if you're going to propose some wild, crazy theory, give me a way to prove that it's not true. Mm. And so I, I've given recommendations for experiments and also a number of observations to mm. uh, falsify the data. Falsify has, it, the claim. has anybody taken you up on it yet? Not yet. I'm, I'm oh. looking for it. I'm looking for it. Nice. So, and uh, I'll, I'll even I'll even tell you a, a little bit about it. It's the, the key experiment. And I think this is important to do this experiment and to be diligent about, you know, encouraging people to do it. Uh, The experiment is to do neutron decay in outer space. Hmm. And there's already been two NASA probes that have done neutron decay experiments in outer space. So it's already been done. It isn't like it's some pie in the sky thing. But uh, the whole idea is, is that if neutrons are particles, they'll decay at the same rate in outer space as they will on Earth. Mm. But if neutrons are wave-based, then it could be that the proximity between the neutrons affects the amount of time it takes for them to decay. And if there's a significant difference in that decay, it could indicate that reality is wave-based as opposed to particle-based. Interesting. Can, can, and, I stop you, can I stop you right there real quick? Can yeah, I, sure. You're, you're, you're talking to somebody here who went to law school specifically to avoid science and math. So, so, so when you're saying, I, I, I think I understand what particles are. Can you explain what you mean by particle based versus wavelength based? Um, particles are going to be easy because it's just protons, electrons, and neutrons. It's the little spheres okay. that mm-hmm. were proposed a hundred years ago. It's more nuanced now, um, you mm-hmm. know, because in quantum mechanics, they say that electrons are will, really um, clouds of energy. Mm-hmm. You know, but you can find a particle in there or it's a particle moving so fast in this cloud of energy. But uh, and there's there's something called the Heisenberg uncertainty principle that says, you know, if if a, a electrons in motion, you won't be able to tell what its position is. But if the velocity is zero, you can tell its position, you can find it. But mm-hmm. I was saying if if it's a wave, you know, the wave's going to be moving. You won't be able to see any kind of particle. But if the wave is stationary, like a standing wave, like when you shake a rope and, and it just 
the waves stay in the same place. Mm -hmm. That's what Mm -hmm. I say is, is a particle is uh, it's waves that are stand, staying in the same place and not moving when you shake them, when they vibrate. Okay. And that's what I'm trying to say is, is what we have around us. And uh, you may not know uh, about the Schumann resonance. Have you ever heard of that? I haven't. Um, it's, it's a uh, set of frequencies. The Schumann, uh, well, Schumann resonance, the base resonance is 7.83 hertz. It's very low. But um, this vibration envelopes the entire planet uh, from the surface of the Earth to the ionosphere. And what keeps these vibrations going is lightning flashes all around the world. Hmm. You know, and all these different thunderstorms and stuff like that. The, the act of lightning, you know, keeps this vibration 7.83 hertz going. And uh, there's something called harmonics. Have you ever heard of wave harmonics? That if you have no. something that uh, will vibrate at, at 10 hertz. 10 hertz, then you may have a harmonic at 20 hertz, 30 hertz, 40 hertz, and 50 hertz. You know, mm-hmm. so multiples of that base frequency, you mm-hmm. could say, are, are harmonics. And there's actually four or five harmonics to the Schumann resonance. Hmm. Uh, so it goes like 7, 13, 21, 27, 32, something like that. And, and I know I'm off, so I, my apologies to people who know these things exactly, because I, I try to be accurate every time I can. Sure. Uh, But what I'm leading up to is to say that in a fully wave-based reality, uh, you can think of a wave-based reality as uh, like you having an FM radio. Mm -hmm. And when you turn the the dial on an FM radio, you change from station to station to station. But what you're really doing is you're changing frequency from one frequency to another to another, and that gives you another station. Well, Mm -hmm. in a fully wave-based reality, you can change from one reality to another by changing the frequency. So, so so when you say reality, are you talking something like going from say like our reality to say like a, a heaven or a spirit world? Or are you talking about something like the multiverse? I'm getting there. Ah, okay. Sorry, not, I'm jumping not, ahead. Not, I'm jumping not ahead. Not okay. Yet. But okay. I was gonna say that that you can have multiple realities, and I would say a way you could explain that is these are at the different harmonic frequencies for the human resonance, mm-hmm. but you can have different dimensions as well. Mm-hmm. And um, just as you can have multiple realities, multiple dimensions, it's just like having AM radio, FM radio, Wi-Fi, mobile communications all existing in the same space. They, they can coexist because they're at different frequencies. And it's the same thing with with realities and the way they would vibrate. This is these this is the claim that I'm making in the book. So so I'm probably jumping ahead again, but I'm just it sounds like yeah, what you're saying. It. It sounds like what you're saying is is that there could be multiple realities going on right where we are right now, and it's just a Correct. matter of changing a frequency to a different frequency in the wavelengths. Correct. To, so when you say wave based reality, if you were to switch switch this metaphysical dial. Yes. We would be in a completely different reality than we're in now. Absolutely. That's that's Whoa. exactly it. Whoa. Okay. So, so so let me say it's it's my thoughts and ideas. I give you ways to falsify the claims. Um, I don't claim to to have the answer, but I wanted to give you as many observations as I could in the book to say this explains scientific anomalies, this explains miracles in the Bible, this explains the paranormal is by saying that that reality is wave-based. 
And, and let me also take, take another step back and talk about worldviews, because you mm -hmm. talked earlier about a scientific worldview. You talked about a religious worldview. They, they knock heads to eat with each other. You know, mm -hmm. they don't agree. And, and both groups, I've, I've seen organizations from both sides uh, use critical thinking to say, this is why we're right is because, you know, we're using critical thinking and can give you logical arguments why we're right and they're wrong. But the reason they're right and the others are wrong on both sides is because they have different worldviews. And it's mm -hmm. those different worldviews that are supporting the, the, the logical ideas and thoughts and stuff that they're each coming up with. So why can't they get together? And this is where I come back to wave-based reality is that uh, what I'm talking about is a change that's so fundamental that it's below the worldview level. It's, mm. it's actually a, a fundamental support for the scientific paradigm that, that gives us our worldview of reality itself. And that's why people haven't been able to find it over hundreds of years is because they've made an assumption that reality is one way when I say it's not. But mm. because it's so fundamental is when you make that shift, if, if it's true uh, and you make that shift, it'll be so wide ranging the changes uh, in what people believe and, and how things are, are constructed and, and what's right and what's wrong, what's up and what's down. That it, it's a, such a mm. fundamental change. But in my mind, it explains you know, all these things I'd say, I, I said, uh, scientific anomalies, miracles in the Bible and the paranormal. Yeah. So how does that tell me how those, uh, and I'm sure that's a loaded question, but how do those fit into this? Like, you know, wave, how does wave based reality explain a miracle that came in the Bible? Like let's use the red sea parting. Well, let me, let me use the feeding of the 5,000. Okay. That, that works too. <laughs> is um, if, if you look at, at, at a loaf of bread and a, a dried fish as a bundle of waves, mm -hmm. it's easy to replicate that wave, that waveform, kind of like the replicator on, on Star Trek, you mm -hmm. know, in the Starship Enterprise, is you're just creating new waveforms to, to replicate what that is. Mm -hmm. And that's one way you can explain it. Um, but I, I have, um, in one of the appendices in my book, I have a hundred different, uh, instances of, uh, miracles in the Bible. And I, I, uh, tried to explain them using parapsychology terms that they were either telepathy or remote viewing, or let me, let me see if I can quote it directly here. Um, spirit communications, which is communications within and between dimensions, um, channeling, remote perception, energy healing, uh, the manipulation of uh, physical objects as psychokinesis, um, body levitation. I could explain that with uh, wave-based physics. Hmm. You know, a, a lot of these things could. So I'm, I'm trying to say that miracles in the Bible are, are really um, can be explained as parapsychological activities or, or I call them spiritual abilities. How, how could you, how could you use a wave-based model, a fully wave-based reality to explain the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Let, let me, let me, let me go back a little bit on that is, okay. um, G, there's multiple different non-physical dimensions. Okay. 
And uh, there, let me say, there's a number of books that are about 100 years old, uh, especially by the Theosophical Society, Okay. Uh, where they have done a lot of just nuts and bolts, blocking and tackling work on the non-physical, from the non-physical dimensions, describing them, the beings that are in them, the characteristics of it, to talking about the there's four primary non-physical bodies. There's an etheric body, an astral body, a mental body, and a causal body. And um, they, can, they can also, well, they also explain death but uh, my book explains it a little bit more, is to say that death is not the end of your life. It's just the movement of your eternal consciousness from a denser dimension. When I talk about multiple dimensions in the same space, mm -hmm. they have different densities, and that's how you can have, di that's how you can have different dimensions existing. Um, you're moving your consciousness from a denser dimension to a less dense dimension and you have to drop your denser body in order to move to the, that lesser, less denser dimension. And, um, at the end of, let me get back to this book again, cause I, I quoted pages and books on where they talked about it. Um, it was in a theosophical, theosophical books by Arthur Powell. Uh, he talked about the physical death and the etheric double on page 20, page 70, excuse me the death of the etheric body in the etheric double on page 71. Uh, he talked, Arthur Powell talked about the death of the astral body in his book, The Astral Body, on pages 204 to 206. And Arthur Powell talked about the death of the mental body in his book, The Mental Body, on page 261 and 262. And another fellow named Charles Ledbeater talked about the process of birth, life, and death on pages 78 and 79 in his book, The Devachonic Plane, which is another name for the mental plane. Hmm. So they've talked about it. And let me, let me walk back a, a, a little bit, too. I, I'm going to come back to the resurrection of Jesus. Okay. Uh, but walking back a little bit more, I want to say that uh, for a conscious being, an eternal conscious being, to move into the physical, they have to descend through a number of intermediate dimensions. Hmm. You know, when I there they they start out up in the causal, they move to the mental, to the astral, to the etheric, to the physical, and each one is denser than the previous one. And I use a little uh, thought experiment to explain what I'm trying to communicate in terms of the concept. And I say, imagine you have a cube, a square, a line, and a point floating in space in front of you. And you can turn that cube to where it looks like a square. And you can turn that square sideways to where it looks like a line. And you can point the line down to where it looks like a point. But a point can't look like a line. A line can't look like a square. And a square can't look like a cube. Does that make sense? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. So, so a being can go from a higher level, a higher level being can go to a lower dimension, but a lower level being can't go to a higher dimension. Hmm. Does that make sense? And this is just, like I said, I'm just giving you concepts, ideas, prototypes, straw man, you know, yeah, yeah. Thanks, so thanks for discussion. So, so you're saying essentially, make sure I understand. I don't know if I do. Let's see. So what you're saying is, is you, your consciousness starts out in this causal plane, moves down to the mental plane, moves down to these other planes. Yes. But it's not like they can go back. 
because once they've gone yeah. down, they can't come back. So the, it's kind the, of like a journey that's going one way. The, no, the, the, the higher level being can go back up. Okay. But, but if you had a lower level being, they can't. So it's another way to look at it too, is think of a movie is you can stop a movie to a single frame and, and it'll look like a photograph. Sure. But a photograph can't look like a movie. Right. Well, because it's the lower dimension. So if a higher being can come down, but a lower being can't go up, is death not making the lower being lower being go back? What up? what I'm what I'm wanting to say is, and and the okay. point I'm getting to is, is that there's uh, people who say that that religious scripture or Bible scripture says that you know we're in temporary we're a temporary being, but when we die we go to eternal life. Mm -hmm. And what I'm saying is, is that you can look at this thought experiment, and it says that you can't go from a lower dimension to a higher dimension if you're a lower dimension being you have to be a higher dimensional being coming down into that lower dimension in order to go back up well doesn't that mean because that's the thing I, I think that you and i might be saying a little bit of the same thing because if yeah. you if you're an eternal being eternal being isn't just into infinity it's infinity to infinity right so you've always been in in terms of time yeah right that's what i'm saying eternal so so when you say you go into eternal life it's not like you die and then you go into eternal life. Eternal life has been, you've always been. This Correct. is just a, this is just a temporary space in a forever before and a forever after. Correct. Okay. So we're on the same page. Correct. Okay, Correct. cool. So, All right. And, and then uh, in each of these dimensions too, there's uh, fields of energy and mm -hmm. they call them elemental essence. And this mm -hmm. is what the Theosophical Society guys have done, you know, through their research 100 years ago. Okay. But if you're a higher level being, uh, in order for you to go down more than one level, you know, like if you're a cube to look like a square, for you to look like a, a line and a point, you have to wrap yourself in the energy of the dimension below you in order to drop one more dimension and then wrap your those two bodies in the dimensional energy of the lower dimension to go down to a fourth dimension. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so, so as you yeah. drop down to dimensions, you, you inhibit, you, you inhabit more of what it takes to become that dimension before you can go down to the next one. Correct. Correct. Okay. And, and what, uh, I propose that you can say that what, what the manifestation of that is in the physical is the human aura hmm. is what they say is, you know, this one, two or three layers around your body. Uh, is that, that I say is that that's that elemental essence energy layer that's allowing your higher level consciousness, your eternal consciousness to come down into the physical is it's mm -hmm. wrapped in those layers. And that's what you see around people's bodies. If people can see an aura, mm -hmm. that's, that's what that is. Interesting. That, that's, that's my proposal, my hypothesis. You know, sure. I, I want to say it's not my answer, but it, all, all the things I propose in here, which I, I spent a long time working on the, on the books and a lot of thought in it, it's more than half a decade, is uh, they're all internally consistent, hmm. which I like. And, so, uh, so now going back to the, the resurrection of Jesus, are you saying essentially that he was a higher being that came down, died, went back up kind of the different planes and then came back down again? No, ah, 
Okay. I'll be a little bit more nuanced with it. Okay. Okay. Is that Jesus was a higher level being. Let's say he was a he he exists in that and, and it's really Christ, not Jesus. I want to say Jesus mm -hmm. is the physical manifestation or the physical body of the Christ. Okay. And I say the, the Christ came down from a very high level okay. and uh inhabited, you know, this physical body, but in order to do that, he had to take on that astral layer and that mental layer of, of energy. So what happened before his crucifixion was the transfiguration mm -hmm. where, where you see that the bright light or whatever. And, mm -hmm. and I say that that event was where he shed his astral and mental body so he could go directly back to the causal. Because if you die and you have that astral or mental body, you can't go any higher than the astral or any higher than the mental. And that's one of the things that, do that they know, say in these books. Do you know, I, I can't remember in the timeline, how long the Mount of Transfiguration was before the crucifixion? Was two, it like about a, two weeks? Two, two weeks. weeks. And then, you know, there's also the story of the Garden of Gethsemane when he's there alone and an angel came strengthening him. Do you think yes. that, that it may have been a, also a part of shedding some of this this stuff too? And, or, or just giving him energy, energetic mm. strength. And that would be a wave-based transmission of, of energy, a wave-based transmission to strengthen him. Is it sounding very alien-like? I just want you to know. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> I know. Because, you know, I've had this I, argument. I, I've had this argument with people before where I go, you, you do realize that you think God is an alien, right? And they go, no, that's not what I think. And I go, well, you think heaven is like up there, right? If it's up there, aren't they? be an alien. But anyway, go ahead. Sorry, I was just, that was a random thought. So, so. so also too, when, when you have a, a higher level body, uh -huh. you have a lot more control over the physical environment okay. in terms of making changes and things. Uh -huh. okay. Just like people with a, a higher level vibration normally have stronger healing abilities. And I would say if Jesus got his causal body back, or his high level body back before he died, he would be able to go in and heal that physical body and jump back into it to, you know, burial and resurrection. So he could come back into that. But if you had your astral body, you don't have anywhere near the strength of, uh, wait a minute. you don't have anywhere near the strength of the healing energy to be able to do stuff like that. But at his level, he would be able to do that. And I'm I'm basing that on on these old century old books that that I've read, uh, yeah. and then talking to people. I know people who heal, and mm -hmm. um, I've actually worked. I've actually done some healing on myself over the number of years, and uh, I know it gets what, stronger the more you work with it. What kind but, of healing have you done? I I started with just doing shaking. It, shaking my hands and reciting a mantra. And, and I, that's the only name I give to it, but it's just completely healed. You know, it's just, you're saying you're, you're already healed. And that's one thing they say with, um, healing or manifestation is that you, you want to say it's already done. So I, mean, I, what, did, I was, what did you, what did you heal? Myself. No, but I mean, of what? Pains, pains oh. in my abdomen, abdominal pains and stuff like that. So, so started out with that. Uh, then I learned Reiki, Reiki level one and two, and was doing energy stuff. And then um, a few years ago, I was able to start doing vibrational healing with my cerebellum, uh, the back of my brain. 
is that you can use that to to point vibrational energy to parts of your body and heal parts of your body. And uh, you, you, can, I, you, you can actually direct your brain to fix things. I, I can I can direct the energy within my body, and that was one of the things that I did in 2003. That was that kind of got me, you know, tied up with all these spirits and stuff. So where, I learned I learned how to sensitize my body to the movement of energy within it. Real quick before you go on, I want to ask what you said. Reiki. What is? I don't know what Reiki is. Reiki is. I I believe it started in Japan, but it's an energy healing modality. Oh, is okay. that you can you can push energy out of the palm chakras in your hands, huh. and um, you can also pull the energy in too. That's not Reiki though. That's other modalities, and a lot of people who do healing. They do, you know, multiple different techniques to heal people. It just depends on what that individual needs. Uh, so, so they don't do just one one type of healing or another. So, and so, so real quick, when you talk about healing, I'm just curious, like, has there been an ailment uh, of some sort of diagnosis that you feel that you have healed yourself of? I mean, like, I understand you have like, you know, I have a pain and it sounds like you have a pain in your hand and you're able to heal it by just directing energy to it. But has there ever been like a thing like I have carpal tunnel syndrome or I had this and you've been able to direct enough energy to, to recover we'll, from something like we'll, that? We'll be going down a rabbit hole if, if you want me to go there. <laughs> well, okay. But, let's, but let's I, can, I, can, I can say, um, you know, one of the things that I've been able to do was feel spirits for 20 years. Mm. And I feel that to a certain extent, spirits are responsible for uh, different, uh, ailments or chronic, um, chronic pains or problems that you have. Ultimately though, it's, it's all a, a manifestation of ourselves. It's, it's just like you may hear people say that Jesus is, uh, or not Jesus, but God is, um, and, and, and all encompassing energy that's, uh, experiencing itself you know, in the universe, it's, it's carved up itself into all these little pieces on all these different planets and all these different worlds. And it's, it's experiencing itself, but that's, that's a, a universal energy that's experiencing itself in different levels in different ways. Hmm. Um, so, but what I was going to say is, is that when people say that they feel like spirits have caused things for them mm -hmm. or to mm -hmm. them or whatever, uh, ultimately they'll find that it's actually manifestations of themselves. It's, it's yourself. Uh, it's, it's your own consciousness interacting with itself. That's causing these stresses or illnesses or things in your body. But at one level you, of your spiritual development or consciousness development, you can say that there's spirit beings that are affecting your body or the way your muscles move, um, or, uh, in inflammation in your body is that you can have that as well. And I was, I, I talked about, um, let's see, suggestive, subject, suggestive healing, energetic healing, vibrational healing. And then there's, there's healing with higher level beings, higher level beings have a, a much stronger ability to heal. And, you know, we, we call on Jesus, we call on God to, to heal us and do things is really a number of beings in those higher level uh, dimensions. They have the same, they have similar abilities, not to the extent that Jesus or God would have it, but they would have similar abilities to heal as well, because 
the ability to manipulate waves is much stronger in those higher dimensions where there's less density. There is like, I feel like we could, I feel like, I feel like we could talk for like 12 hours and not get through all of this stuff. So let me, let me ask you just a well, couple of things because I want to, I want to draw back to a couple of things you just said. Can, okay. So, so like, because I, as an attorney, I deal a lot with medicine, particularly when it comes to like injuries in the spine and things of right. that nature. Right. So like, for example, I personally, like I've, I've been in a car accident. I got rear-ended and, and I ended up with a disc protrusion in my lower back. Uh, so the disc in between my L5 and S1 vertebrae, uh, some of the gelatinous stuff in the middle has torn. There's been a torn, a tear in the disc and it's come out and it's impinging on a nerve root, which is causing pain down my leg. So scientifically, right. we know that that gelatinous stuff is causing that pain. So when you say that you think spirits are causing pain, are you talking about things like, for example, like there are some people who have, you know, myofascial pain, which is really just kind of a diagnosis of, we don't know why you're having pain, right? Or like, are you saying things like anxiety, or, that kind of pain? Or are you talking about even the pain that I'm feeling because I have felt in the past because of a disc protrusion that causes pain in my lower back? I, um, I would say to varying degrees, yes. But, and there's ways to heal, uh, heal the pain as well. And what, what healers do is they heal the etheric body uh, mm -hmm. of pain or whatever's uh, a problem or an issue. And mm -hmm. that change to your etheric body propagates to your physical body over the course of about six or eight hours. Mm -hmm. And that's the big difference between doctors and healers is doctors are working on your physical body and trying to heal your physical body but healers are actually working on the etheric body and healing that and letting that those changes propagate to your physical. And so, that's the big difference between them. No, that's interesting. Cause like, for example, <clears throat> you know, there is a, everybody has like arthritic changes in their spine. Mm -hmm. Right. And mm -hmm. we have certain situations all the time where someone has arthritic changes in their spine, but they're not having any pain. And then they get in a car accident and suddenly those arthritic changes are causing them pain. So you could have, I mean, if you, I don't know how old you are, but we could take, you know, we could take a hundred people with your, your birthday MRI, their spines and see the degenerative changes. Right. It doesn't mean you're all going to have pain. So right. I, I could, and, and nobody can explain well, why. Well, let, let, let me go to something else that, that I've done more work with and it's okay. uh, body tremors. You know, okay. like you'll have people that have shaking hands or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. is that that I found that it's it's to me for me it's been caused by spirits that will get inside like my my forearm muscle or my biceps and uh, they'll interact or interrupt the transmission of the neural signals or nervous sure. system signals and that causes that shaking but if I can pull them out and that's what I've been able to do is uh, it goes away immediately so how do you know, how do you know they're spirits? Because I can feel them. I mean, I've felt them for 20 years. So, and I'm just, I'm asking the questions because I just, I'm sure someone, well, a scientist well, would ask, how do you know and, that's not just like a nerve feeling? You know what I mean? Like shooting through your spine or through from your nerve endings. Uh, I'll, I'll say it's subjective. I can't give you an objective answer. I can just give you observations so you can create a hypothesis and do an experiment. Okay. Okay. So, but, but subjectively, I, that's my answer is that 
that it's it's spiritual entities that get in your muscles and interrupt the nervous system communication that causes these tremors in your body. And if you can eliminate them, um, the tremors go away. Uh, similarly too, um, I, and let's say it's just a, a theory, you know, mm-hmm. I don't want to say that it is or whatever, but you could think of cancer and, uh, you know, cancer spreading throughout your body. I felt, uh, spirits that would light on my coccyx at night, the lower, the very lower body mm-hmm. bone on, on my spine. That's yeah, the tailbone. That's, that that's where your Kundalini is. But it, it, your spine has just got a ton of energy going through it. I mean, it's, yeah. a, it's a massive amount of energy and you don't want to mess with it when you're playing around with, you know, the metaphysical stuff or whatever. But uh, I have felt spirits attach themselves to that coccyx and they would shoot energy up to different parts of my body where I would, you know, maybe like feel a, a lymph node pain or or, you know, stuff in different parts of my body to send energy to those entities. And I've always thought that cancer could be a spirit that would go in and destroy cells in in tissue. And your body's going to rebuild those cells. But what that spirit's going to do is it's going to drop little spiritual entities in it that'll control the consciousness or control the movement or the direction of those cells once they regrow. But since it's, it's not part of the body it needs to have energy fed to it and that's where i i felt that uh energy flow coming from my coccyx going to different parts of my body and that was a number of years ago so but i've never told anybody that so you know i don't want to get get my head hung for it i'm just giving you an observation no it's it's interesting and i want i want to work that out with you because you it's you think that that this would be when you're saying spirits like are you are you hypothesizing that so like we're talking about evil spirits that are coming no in no and no, these no. no spirits that are just you know living off of your energy and that's there's no evil of it a lot of it is is caused by um you know your emotions you know your emotions over time can create entities um, huh. yeah. And this, this is something I want to write about in my next book is to talk more about, I've, I've talked about the physics in my fourth book. There's mm-hmm. a theosophical book called the cult chemistry that talks about the chemistry of wave-based physics. And, uh, I want to talk more going up the ladder, you know, the scientific ladder. I want to talk more about biology and about psychology in my fifth book. So you, are I'm, you, I'm do you, into that. Do you, when you, you seem to know a lot about like, you know, you seem to know a lot about the, about physics. Have you studied this on your own? Are you, uh, do you, did you go to college for something like that? Or how did you come to know all, I mean, I, I do, you're, you're using terms that I have never heard. So I'm like curious, it, how, did you just self-study this? Multiple years of self-study. And, okay. uh, I, I went through, uh, 25 courses of these online uh, or DVD uh, professor courses and stuff like that. I don't want to mention a name on, on the podcast, Okay, but, uh, but I've been through a number of those I've, I've read or I've purchased probably over 2000 books, maybe closer to 3000 books over the 20 years. When my fourth book came out, I gave away my metaphysical book collection 
to a, mm-hmm. a fella uh, here in North Carolina. I gave him a thousand books, and wow. I I have uh, two two shelf bookcases left, and and I'm wow. overpacking that. So I just, <laughs> that, that's my vice is I I love books. Yeah. Um, when you when you say metaphysical, though, are you talking about like? Are these books that are like peer-reviewed scholarly books on on physics and how they work, or are these kind of like are these off the mainstream? A lot of them. Both. I'm mm. I'm, I'm trying to get religious books, monastic mm. books, you know, uh, Sufi books, uh, Kabbalah books, you know, on that and on the mystical side of religion, uh, religious books to talk about scripture because I want to be able to provide a uh, spiritual interpretation of scripture. And that's another thing I'm, I'm working on is, Mm. Oh, and just as an aside is uh, Jesus's parables. Mm -hmm. A lot of people say, you know, it talks about Christian virtues, Mm -hmm. but when Jesus in chapter 13 of Matthew, uh, Jesus gave explanations for two of his parables and he was talking about it from a literal standpoint, but also from a spiritual standpoint, he wasn't talking about it from an allegorical standpoint or a metaphorical standpoint. He was talking about it from a spiritual standpoint. And so mm-hmm. one of the papers that I've done is looking at all of Jesus's parables from a spiritual interpretation. And when you look at it from that standpoint, you see that he talked about two things. He talked about the process of spiritual development and the fruits of that process. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it isn't like, you know, oh, you, you need to help the poor. You need to, you know, everyone's your neighbor and all like that. That's, that's a misinterpretation of what those parables are because his intention all along was is that he was trying to give literal interpretations to, to spiritual things he was trying to communicate. Interesting. And yeah, so I, that's one of the things, I, one of the ebooks that I want to do. I've, I've got it done. I'm just trying to go back into it and do some more work with it. And also talk about the spiritual passages in the Bible uh, and giving a spiritual interpretation to it as well. Because I think a lot of preachers in many denominations are hesitant to talk about the spiritual. If they haven't had a personal spiritual experience to back it up, mm-hmm. a lot of them are hesitant to talk about some of these, these spiritual passages. Like, you know, our bodies will be changed in a flash. Or, mm. uh, you know, the kingdom of heaven is within you, you know, mm. or the the uh, the unseen is real and the seen is not, you know, mm. and, and we're just uh, uh, looking in a mirror in this present life. You know, all, all these different verses and scriptures, I, I want to give it a, a spiritual interpretation based on the things that I've read and thought about and done and, and written uh, to give people a whole different perspective of what the Bible uh, says from a spiritual standpoint. And I, and I really believe in, in the words that are being communicated through it. I believe they're, they're valid. Um, I, I just want to say that people are afraid to, or I don't know how to say it, people who are leaders in different denominations are afraid to talk about the spiritual. They weren't mm-hmm. 50 years ago, I don't think. But mm-hmm. I think they're more afraid to now. But um, also, too, I think just like uh, you you talk differently to uh, someone about a subject depending on on their age, whether they're a child, a teenager or another adult, you'll you'll approach the topic differently depending on uh, on what they can understand or comprehend. I, I think the Bible was written for people who comprehended things a certain way 2000 years ago. But I think one of the issues that people have today is is that it's not speaking to the complexity or the sophistication of their consciousness 
their level of consciousness today. And it's almost like you need a, a more detailed explanation of some of these things that are covered in the Bible as is to say, yes, it was written for a teenager. But now that you're an adult, you know, let's let's give you the the more adult, you know, the meat instead of the milk uh, mm-hmm. talking about it. So Interesting. That's, that's kind of where I'm going. But I, I want to try and link all these things together. Yeah. Uh, science and religion and the paranormal. And it's all the same thing. And. I was I was even going to say, too, that um, all the different sects or or things that you hear about in the paranormal, when you talk about witchcraft or voodoo or all these other things, they're they're not separate uh, powers or abilities. It's all physics. It's all the same stuff. They're just Mm -hmm. using different names or giving it different names or using different examples. But it's all the same stuff. And I use two examples when I talk to people about this. I say that um, intercessory prayer, when you pray for someone for healing or whatever, uh, you use the same techniques for intercessory prayer, which is focus and intention and concentration and visualization. Those are the same tech, the same things you use in spell casting. Mm-hmm. It's just you have a different intention instead of an intention to benefit yourself or to benefit someone who's asked you to help. You, you set an intention to benefit others for the highest and greatest good for, for everyone concerned. That's, that's the big difference. It's the same physics, but mm-hmm. it's, it's uh, the difference of intention. And the other thing, too, is, is like when you do remote healing, uh, you're using, I believe, you're using quantum entanglement to create a link between the healer and the person being healed. But uh, for remote healing, that's the same technique you use as inflicting pain on someone remotely with a voodoo doll. Mm. It's the same stuff, but I'm trying to say it's all physics and it's not, you know, these things that are good or bad or evil or angelic or whatever. It's physics. That's Mm. the whole thrust of the book. So when you, you know, you mentioned um, you've had several spiritual experiences. Um, It sounds like, you, you, you had a background in, in the Southern Baptist yes. denominations, Yes. but, but it sounds like you've kind of graduated now to kind of more, you know, kind of spiritualistic kind of ideas. Is I, that- I, I want to say I have spiritualistic ideas, but I want to remain grounded in my religious upbringing and training. Uh-huh. But I want to explain that religious training and upbringing and understanding from a spiritual perspective. But don't, I mean, if you're, if you're Southern, I mean, I, so I served a mission for my church in Indiana and there wasn't a lot of Southern Baptists, but there were a lot of Baptists, you know, and there were a lot of uh, apostolic, apostolic Pentecostals and different. Right. And they all believe Jesus is the only way, but if you're more of a spiritualistic and you're using all these different, different methods, you, you, it doesn't sound like you currently still believe that. Well, let me, I've changed my point of view to be a, a purely spiritual viewpoint. Okay. And I think that was one of the benefits of me spending this half decade, you know, writing and researching and thinking about my book. It was the same thing of when Muhammad spent a year and, and a half in a cave, when Jesus spent 40 days in the desert. You know, he wasn't Jesus wasn't necessarily just tempted by the devil. Then I I think it was a time that you can you need to spend by yourself to change your worldview. 
And that's what, what I think of when I think of those times alone, because if, if I was talking about things that I had experienced or ideas or concepts I was thinking about for the book and told that to my family or to my friends, they would shut me down. Mm-hmm. They would say, you know, you're, you're crazy, but that's because they're working with this particle based materialistic worldview. And from that perspective, I am, mm-hmm. but, mm-hmm. Uh, by me having the time to develop this wave based worldview and a purely spiritual based worldview, uh, the things that I talk about are not crazy. So, mm-hmm. but do until you, you prove, until you prove it, and that's why I was saying you need to do this neutron decay experiment. Uh, I, I have no foot to stand on. All I want to do with this experiment, the one that I'm proposing is to shift the knee a little, a little bit to say, well, it could be wave-based reality because right now it's purely on, you know, it's particle based or quantum mechanics based. But I, I need, once you do that, that opens the door for, you know, all explanations of all the paranormal explanations of all the Bible miracles, all these other things, but you need to have that shift to do it. And without having that shift done first, uh, scientists or atheists or skeptics, they'll just tear up people who were trying to explain things like what I was talking about, healing or spirits and stuff. They'll tear that up because the underlying worldview is different or I, I need the underlying worldview of a, of a fully wave based reality in order to support the other things that I would talk about. So I really say people need to do this first experiment before we talk about anything else. So you're, do you, uh, you mentioned earlier, you said that, you know, you, as you use these things, you started having spiritual experiences over 20 years ago. And as you use these things, they've been kind of increased. You're able to use them more. Do you believe that you have some sort of psychic or paranormal, paranormal um, abilities? A very low level. I mean, I've, I've talked to people, uh, I've talked to a number of people who have had much stronger, better uh, abilities than I have, but it all rolls back to the purity of heart and mind mm-hmm. and, uh, the purer heart you have the, and the, the, uh, more compassionate, more loving heart you have. Mm-hmm. That is also what, uh, develops that energy, that ability to that degree too. And you, and, and, uh, you, and you mentioned earlier, sorry to interrupt you. I just, you meant, okay. as I was thinking, as you mentioned earlier, you said you see entities. Does that yes. include like, like entities, like spirits, like ghosts, things like that? Or are we talking about those little things that you were talking about in the picture? Um, I've, I've seen a number of, and, and you'll have to go to uh, Charles Ledbetter's book on the astral plane. Okay. And he talks about elementals. He said there's like 2,400 different kinds of elemental beings in mm. the astral plane. And I've seen a number of those. Mm. Uh, and uh, like dozens, not hundreds or thousands, but dozens. Um, I've seen a couple spiritual entities down at the foot of my bed. Um, you know, one night I saw a, a dog running around beside my bed that looked like he had probably just died and he was playing. Uh, I, there was one night a number of years ago where, uh, it was almost like someone who was having an out of body experience. They couldn't control themselves and they, they kind of smashed into my body. And I just felt like this silly putty just come all over me. And, mm. and I could sense this, um, fear, and anxiety, you know, in them. 
And I was trying to calm them down and say, you know, it's okay. It's okay. You're not going to be hurt or whatever. But that, that entity just kind of gradually pulled itself off of me and went off, you know, in space or whatever. There was another time, and this was like one of the first times where uh, I felt an entity like it was going into my head and I grabbed it before it did. And I held it real tight in my hand and it shook my hand like it was a gyroscope trying to get out. And I had my hand sitting up above my bed for like 30 seconds and it was shaking my hand like I was holding a gyroscope. And then I let it go and and I could sense that it was saying, did this really happen? What just happened here? What was this? Yeah. Are you when these things happen, are you in your bed or are you where are you at? They they were mostly in my bed, but I've been able to see more things during the daytime. Was that was and the I, one with the with the what was the one where you said it felt like someone was having an out of body experience? Did that happen in your room or was that somewhere else? That happened in uh, my bedroom when I was uh, in another part of town. That was probably about 15, 17 years ago. I was in a housing development down there. Wow. Wow. Now, uh, that's, did you ever find out who that person no. was? No. Interesting. Did no. it ever say, did it say anything to you or? I just, I just sensed the fear and I've, oh. I've just now started to be able to hear things, mm-hmm. you know, words and communications. Um, but mostly it's it's you get it and and i tell people if you want to develop or understand uh or experience the spiritual the biggest thing you need to do is to quiet your mind a lot of people have these really chatty chatty minds um you know and and there's bible scriptures that say you know god's in the silence and i'm paraphrasing but it's because you need to have a quiet mind in order to discern uh, thoughts or communications that aren't your own. And uh, or maybe video images. I've had videos play in my head, um, you know, that would go away when I opened my eyes or that would stay playing while I had my eyes open. But I could feel the vibrations of the spiritual entity playing it back in my visual center. Do you ever know, like, why or what it is that you're seeing, you know, like, is there some reason why you're seeing these things? In in some cases, yes. I, and I want to say they're, they're trying to communicate something to me, but I'm not that well-versed in the things that I see to understand what they're trying to say. But there, there was one time I was, um, I was telling a spirit I, and I was going through the space saying, you know, they're just figments of my imagination. You know, it's all part of me or whatever. And I told this one, or I was saying to this one spirit telepathically is I said, you're just a figment of my imagination. And then the next thing I knew it had attached itself on the back of my head and it was playing like something that looked like steamboat Willie, one of these 1930s or forties cartoons. It was all black and white and, and stick figures. Wow. This yeah. happened. Was this a time when you were in your bed or were you somewhere else? Uh, I was, I was lying in my bed. Most of them have been in my bed until just the last couple of years. So that's, feel like, that, that's just really interesting. Cause I, I gotta tell you like that for me, if something like that was happened, did you ever feel like you were just like something wrong? You know what I mean? Like, do you think to yourself, never. Like, you never, never once were like, never. maybe I should get this checked out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I never. think if I just started seeing things, like if, I just think, I, I don't know, maybe I don't have enough it, faith, but I just it, think it if, was, if, uh, if an entity ran into me and I felt fear, I'd be like, I something's going on. 
so, you know? so a, a lot of it in the in the first part, and P, I think a lot of people are like this. They've had spiritual experiences, but they'll they'll be damned to tell anybody about them. You know, they yeah. don't they don't want to be known as being crazy or nuts. I say this partly because I've written books about it, but also too, I want to be vulnerable to people so that they can feel comfortable telling me stories that sure. they haven't told anybody else. So that's one of the reasons sure. why I'm sharing all these things. Well, I think it's interesting because here, here's the reason why I bring this up. Like I've had, I'm, I'm one of those. Like I feel, I feel personally mm-hmm. like I have had spiritual experiences, not like that, but I've had my own spiritual experiences. Mm-hmm. And I think anybody who is particularly religious yes, probably has had some sort of experience that cannot be explained by the physical world. Yes. Right. Which I think is very frustrating for people who are all material. They get really frustrated because they're like, how can you possibly think that there's no evidence to support Correct. that? And you Correct. just say, well, yeah, but this is how I feel. Right. Correct. I don't, I don't share a lot of those things, not necessarily because I don't want anyone to think I'm crazy, but just because I think they're kind of sacred. You know, they were pretty important to me at the times when they happened, it came in traumatic times and things that mm. I share some of them sometimes, but they're more, they're more feelings or they're like, even I, I hear some that are dreams, but I, it's very rare that you hear somebody who will say, I'm laying in my bed and like a person having an out-of-body experience like slammed into me. It's just so rare to hear. I hear and, you. And, and so, uh, but like, it's, it's interesting because as I'm thinking this through, I think to myself, if this had happened to me, I would think I'm going crazy, right? Mm-hmm. You know, but at the same time, I've had spiritual experiences, not as dramatic as that. Mm -hmm. And I would never deny that I had them. Right. You know what I mean? So, so it's just so interesting to me that this, uh, you you mentioned real quick, sorry, I'm bouncing around, I know, but like you mentioned, you don't want to play with these things. Was this something that you wanted to develop? It, it just happened. And, and these spiritual and I, my spiritual experiences, I want to say, are, are daily, day in and day out every day now. And initially they were very frequent, but I, I say they were persistent spiritual experiences. They, they, it, was, it wasn't one of these once and done kind of things. Mm-hmm. It was something that, that started and became more and more and more common mm-hmm. uh, as, as I got more into it. Um, the reason why I say have a mentor is because of a couple of the things, a couple things that had happened to me while I was doing my own experimentation. I started out with a mentor, but I kind of went past what they were, uh, what they knew and, and what I was doing was a little bit more than what they wanted, you know, wanted to be involved with or whatever. But I was, I was trying to manipulate the energy in, in my body. And there was one thing I did to my brain, and I won't do this because I don't want other people to play with it. But um, I I moved the energy in my brain around the wrong way, or it was a way that I shouldn't have done. And uh, I did that for a couple weeks, and after a couple weeks, I started stuttering, and it took about a year and a half to get rid of it. Really? Yeah. Wow. So that that was the big thing for me is you know don't do this stuff. Um, and a lot of people are, you know, anxious to say, I want to have an out-of-body experience or, you know, I want to do ayahuasca or psychedelics or whatever, uh, is make sure you have somebody who's been there, done that to kind of guide you through these things because you don't want to do things 
and that would scare you, frighten you. Number one, you know, you want someone who's there to tell you what, what you're feeling and what you're experiencing and that it's okay. But then you don't want to do something that's crazy that, you know, people would say, Oh, I wouldn't do that if I was you, you know, yeah. you, you want someone. <laughs> right. You, yeah. You know, so you, you want someone who's going to keep you on the, on the, the straight path and not go off in the gutter somewhere. So I was going to actually ask you because a lot of what you're saying and what you're sounding like, it sounds like I know uh, some people that have gone and dabbled in psychedelics and different things. Like you mentioned, ayahuasca. Is, yeah. there, are, is that a part of this uh, a spiritual transformation you've made? Are you are you no. using those? No, no? not at no. all. No. Have you ever thought about it? Don't need to because I've got yeah. more than enough to convince me. Yeah. But I mean, if you, you did that, I mean. don't you? I mean, you, you've mm -hmm. gotten to where you are. If you did it, couldn't you unlock something even? No, no, I've, I've done more with what what I've experienced than than what they would provide. And then also, too, if you let's take ayahuasca or psilocybin or psilocybin, for instance, mm -hmm. or DMT, mm -hmm. you have these experiences. You can never get beyond it being a subjective experience. You know, you can never say definitively it was something spiritual as opposed to it was a hallucination or something that happened in my brain. Mm -hmm. um, the only way that I found to be able to have something that's more objective than subjective is to have group experiences. And um, there, I think, I want to get, get the name right, Thomas Campbell. He, he wrote a book called My Big Toe, and it was my big theory of everything. And on page 85, he uh, recounted an event that he had with Robert Monroe, who was an, an early out-of-body explorer. And Robert Monroe wanted to get his out-of-body lab set up. And he asked, uh, you know, asked him and another engineer friend to help with the setup. And in exchange, he taught them some out-of-body techniques. Mm -hmm. And one day, uh, they both went out-of-body to doing the same exact thing. And Robert Monroe recorded everything they said. He asked them questions at the same time. You know, what are they doing? What are they experiencing? Where are they? What do you see? What do you feel? And they did this for like an hour, hour and a half. And then when it was over, Monroe said, come back to the control room. You know, and they got out of their pods and, and came back and listened to the recordings. And they were within seconds of each other having the same experience. Wow. And that that's when Tom Campbell, it was page 85 of his book. And I, I quoted it in an earlier book of mine. That's why I remember the page number, but he said he spent the whole weekend saying, I can't believe this is true. This is, this could be very well be true. This has mm -hmm. got to be true. You know, he was saying all that. And I think that that was the moment that kind of directed him for the rest of his life. Cause the rest of his life, he's been doing parapsychological stuff and trying to prove the reality of the spiritual and that these things are really true. So, He's been doing the same thing. So in this wave-based reality that you're talking about, you mentioned there are different dimensions. There's different, I, I mentioned earlier. So there's, are, are we talking about a difference of heaven and hell and all these things? Or are we talking about a multiverse where there's multiple versions of us going on at the same time in this one area? Well, let me say that there's, you know what fractals are? No. Mandelbrot fractals. It's like no. there are these designs that repeat themselves at different levels. You'll get the same repeat and you'll go up okay. and get the same repeat of these same designs and whatever. 
Okay. Uh, it's, it's almost like the, the universe is a fractal and that uh, things that we see on one level can be the same thing or very similar things that we see on another level. And just like um, um, you would say you have black holes in the centers of galaxies and, and that's where planets or solar systems could fall in and, and get squished, you know, and broken down into elemental parts. You, you have something called the, uh, the great attractor in superclusters, which is, you know, clusters of, un of uh, uh, galaxies that a, an entire galaxy could fall into. You know, and, and similarly, I guess if you want to look at a smaller level on Earth, just our process of birth, life and death is very similar to what you could say would happen with the birth of planets in a nebula to their life, to their death in a black hole. So you can have the same or similar things happening at all these different levels. And um, I think that's what's going on in the universe. And I, and I wanted to, to give you a, a, an idea just or a thought since since I had you on this podcast <laughs> is uh, scientists say that infinity doesn't exist in nature. And, you know, you can have whole number infinity that'll go on and on and on, and you'll have fractional infinity that you keep adding numbers to the end of the fraction. and It'll just keep getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, but scientists have said, while you can show its existence mathematically, and many times you can, prove that or show that things that exist mathematically exist in nature. They say infinity can't exist in nature because um, there's a, a law of the conservation of mass and energy where they say that, or mass and, yeah, mass and energy. And they say that in a closed universe, uh, you can't create more matter or more energy or take it away. You can transmute it. You can transition it between matter and energy or energy and matter but you can't create more of it or, or destroy it. And um, that's why they don't it, you know, say that infinity doesn't exist in, in three dimensions. But uh, in, fourth, in four dimensions, this is where I think that uh, our universe really is. It's sitting in four spatial dimensions. And I'll give you an example for that is we talked about you know, a square being a two-dimensional object. A cube is a three-dimensional object. Have you ever heard of a tesseract, which is a fourth dimensional cube? Yeah, isn't that what the they used in? Uh, in wasn't a tesseract in one of those uh, Marvel it was movies? In Interstellar. I Interstellar. Believe. No, there. Yeah. What was the tesseract there? I'm gonna and there's a rock group called Tesseract too, I think. But what it is is it's a cube within a cube, and they and the cubes can move between each other, get smaller and bigger, bigger and smaller. But the fourth dimension is the first dimension where things can loop. And what I, I said in my book is that I think that infinity exists in the fourth dimension and that whole number infinity loops with fractional infinity. So and, Tesseracts were actually used in Iron Man. Anyway, go ahead. Iron Man. There you go. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Yeah. So I, but, but I was going to say infinity can loop in the fourth dimension. Mm -hmm. And uh, you've seen uh, the images of a snake eating its tail, the cosmic Ouroboros. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's what people were trying to say thousands of years ago or trying to convey is that there's these big loops in, in our dimensions. And you, you could say, well, if, if infinity exists in the fourth dimension and that whole number infinity and fractional infinity are really loops, where can you see that in nature? And you have black holes 
in uh, the center of galaxies. And I, I said, you know, in, in uh, superclusters and things where uh, large entities, you know, like planets or solar systems can, or galaxies can go into them and get broken apart. And there's the theoretical white hole that uh, they say that's where the matter comes back out. And it starts as cosmic rays or protons or just atomic, uh, subatomic particles that uh, end up growing back into the planets and the solar systems and the galaxies again. But it, it's just, it's a looping of, of that stuff. So you say, well, if planets can go into a black hole, where's a white hole? We've, we've theoretically talked about it, but they don't know what it is. And uh, I proposed in the book that we've been studying it for years, and it's the Big Bang. The Big Bang mm. was the emergence of matter from a white hole. Hmm. Interesting. But, Mark Hunter Brooks, <laughs> I want to I know, is there another version of me in some dimension that has a completely different life? There's, there's multiple, um, multiple spirits of you having different experiences all at the same time. Really? And, and let's say, let's just, let's just use earth as an example, you know, in, in this timeline, if you look from a fourth and, and again, let me say, this is my model, my theory, whatever. It's a straw man to have discussions for people to do experiments on. You know, I just, I don't want to say I have the definitive answer, mm -hmm. but I'll give you an idea about talking about time is that time in three dimensions, is a time stream and people talk about all time existing at the same time. Mm -hmm. Have you ever heard that? No, I don't think I have. Okay. Well, there's people that would say that time, all time exists simultaneously. Okay. And, and that it's really just a continuum and mm -hmm. you can plop down in any part of that time stream and live your life, mm. but you don't have to live your lives serially you know, like have one life in the 1500s, one life in the 1600s, in the 1700s, 1800s, 1900s, and 2000s. And especially now with all this stuff going on, I, I think you can have multiple instances of yourself existing at the same time. So you can have, you know, your previous incarnation or previous existence uh, being born in 1980, your current existence being born in 1992, your future existence is being born in 2000 and three or four others all clustered in there at the same point. And they could be part of your family, you know, brother, sister, husband, wife, mother, father, grandfather, grandmother, uh, aunt, uncle, you know, you could have all those people being different incarnations or different instances of you because all time is existing at the same point. So you can have so you multiple instances of you here but it's you and your spirit, not you and your personality of this body that you're in the lifetime you're living. So you're saying that me and my mother and my father are all the same person. They, they could be, they, that not the same person, the same conscious entity that's so having, you, that has a different personality that's coming in, having a different lifetime. that's working on different aspects of their eternal self. So we're all they, the same consciousness just different versions of it. Dif different versions of it. Wow. That yeah. is mind bending. Cool. <laughs> I just, I've never heard that. That like, so I, cause I, you're, so, you're, you're saying that there, I, one consciousness, 
could be a whole bunch of people plop down around the same time. Like there's another version of my consciousness bouncing around out there somewhere. Uh, of your higher level consciousness, but you're not aware of it. It's each lifetime is working on different aspects of your eternal being. So one, wow. one lifetime could be working on your relationships. One time could be working on your intellectual knowledge and control of your emotions or control of your ego. You could have different lifetimes that are working on different aspects of your eternal self, and they could all exist at the same point in time and even help each other out. Like if you had a, a hard time in your life and somebody just kind of swooped in and saved your tail, you know, mm -hmm. and, and got, got you back on your feet, that could very well have been another instance of you. Huh. But wow. as a, as, as a female or as, you know, an older person or a younger person or whatever. Hmm. So you don't know. So how does that, does that, uh, is this, is this something that you've come up with on, like, is this your own theory or is this, are there other people who subscribe to this same idea? Um, this is what I developed at, over years of, uh, trying to figure out what happened to me and trying to make sense of it in, in an internally consistent way. Happened that, to you? Like, what do you mean happened to with you? With all the spiritual experiences that I've had. Do you this, think that this, some of these are, are this, your consciousness coming back to you kind of thing? No, I'm, I'm trying to say that I, I wrestled with trying to explain what happened to me and the way that I explained it is, is that reality is different than what people believe that it's fully wave based instead of particle based or quantum based. Interesting. But, um, but there's other people that have also proposed a fully wave-based reality. I want to say uh, Erwin Schrodinger, who was a Nobel laureate. Uh, Einstein, mm -hmm. to a degree, did. Uh, Ernst Mach did, who did the mm -hmm. Mach number, or it's named after him. Um, mm -hmm. There's uh, a fellow that actually the guy that proposed initially proposed the neutron decay experiment. Uh, he was a PhD in optics, I believe, is Milo Wolf. He wrote a book called uh, Schrodinger's Universe. And it's the whole book is about uh, a fully wave-based reality. And he, and he actually proposes a theory of everything in Schrodinger's universe that he said aligns with natural law, aligns with physics. And quantum physicists, experimental physicists, have been wrestling with a theory of everything for almost a century, trying to figure it out. But uh, Milo Wolf said with a wave-based premise, fully wave-based reality premise, he could define a theory of everything with three statements. What are those statements? Well, I, and I, I outline them in my book, but it's in his mm. book, Schrodinger's Universe. But I, mm. I outlined them here mostly to say that it exists because I don't think, I didn't think people realized that it existed. But I'll, uh, I'll give you... You can see that he has some differential equations right there. Wow. That it's figure 35 in my book. Wow. On, uh, on page 120. But get Schrodinger's Universe by Milo Wolf. And hmm. uh, he actually goes into the mathematics of, of wave based uh, physics. Uh, he does that. He proposed the neutron decay experiment on page 108 of his book. Hmm. Uh, and he did a lot of work on it, a lot of math mathematical work on it. So when you present this to people, like say, you know, you talked about you going to different uh, convention conventions and yeah. different things. When you present this to people, how is it received? People are, uh, it's, it's mixed. 
you know, uh-huh. I, I think I'm getting more traction now because okay. more people are, are interested in the spiritual and the metaphysical and people are struggling with the physics now. Uh, I also want to say since, since you're out in California, I hope that there's some people listening, you know, who are at Stanford or Caltech. I, mm-hmm. I really would like to say to them, I said, consider that quantum mechanics uh, and all the struggles they have with it, they get the right answers, but the mathematics is so complex that people are, are really struggling with it. And mm-hmm. uh, Richard Feynman, who was one of the physics professors at Caltech, uh, you know, he would say if, if you uh, uh, understand or if you think you understand quantum mechanics, you don't understand it. You know, it was, and he was, there's some other thing that somebody said, you know, just shut up and compute, you know, this is, you'll get the right answer. Just don't, don't question it or whatever. So anyway, that wasn't attributed to any of those guys. But Mm -hmm. what I wanted to say is, is to, if you're thinking about quantum mechanics, think about it and some of the, the problems that they have with the mathematics of it as being a 21st century form of geocentrism, where in the 1600s, people thought that the planet's uh, circled the earth instead of the sun. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they got the right answers when they would do the mathematics, but everything looked like a spirograph, you know, with all these little curly cues of, of orbits around the earth. But when you change the, uh, center of the solar system to be the sun instead of the earth, everything went into these really nice and simple cir- circles. And I wanted to propose to people consider that the same thing is happening with quantum mechanics is that it's a 21st century form of geocentrism and that if you instead of having quantum mechanics as the core have a fully wave-based reality as the core try that for a few weeks you know in in your modeling and in your experiments and in your thinking to see if that might be a more simplistic way of thinking about reality because Mm -hmm. i know people have struggled for decades to to try and agree on the different versions of quantum mechanics which one's correct and they haven't been able to do that it's been a struggle so as you develop this and you develop your spiritual abilities, do you think that it's possible to shift into other dimensions in your consciousness? Yes. Have you ever done that? Um, yes. Where did you, like, which one? Uh, I, I took a, I took courses at a, uh, an institute that, you know, deals with the expansion of consciousness. Okay. And um, I was able to project my consciousness to the moon and uh, project it to the place where you go when you first die. They call it the park. And it's it's like a 30,000 acre park with trees and homes and stuff like that. But they say that's where you go when you first die. Okay, so let's start with the moon. You you projected your your consciousness to the moon? Yes. And what, what, when you got there, I mean, were you like, could you see, like you got there and you could see what? and you're like, oh, the crap, there's the earth. Let me, let me give you. And a was it more, round or was it let, flat? Let, Let's just let clear me give that you, up. Let me give you a little more context with it. Okay. Okay. Um, there was a, a fella named Ego uh, Swan who was uh-huh. a famous remote viewer and he wrote a book where he talked about doing a CIA project where mm-hmm. he was asked to uh, do remote viewing on the far side of the moon. Mm-hmm. And, and he was saying there was alien in, in installations and stuff there. So mm-hmm. I was playing around in one of these courses, you know, I had a free session, you know, to go do anything I wanted to. And so I said, well, I'll project my consciousness to the moon. And I, I laid back and did it. 
and and I could see the moon as as being real small and getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and then you know a crater becoming bigger and bigger and bigger, and then the next thing I knew, I was sitting in a hallway with ambient lighting and a number of doors on either side, and uh, that's how I ended up there. So, and the other one was when we were actually doing a a session to go to the park. Um, you know, I actually saw it, um, and saw and you could have somebody check me on this there was a house i saw that was sitting out on a precipice um with uh, two lighthouses below it on the on the cliff so uh, if somebody's been there done that you know that was something i saw that could say whether i saw it or not okay wait let's let's go we'll go back we'll come back to that but let's go to the moon thing so when you say you went to like you you saw the moon coming you saw a crater coming and the next thing you, you know you're in a in a hallway with a bunch of doors, right? You thought you were your consciousness was on the in, moon at in, that point. In, in a facility, I think in a facility on the moon. Okay, Do, what kind? Like, it, are there facilities on the moon? Well, that's what Ingo Swan said in his book, and I was just trying to see if it was true or not. So you, but he said that he thought there were alien life on the moon. Mm -hmm. And so you projected your consciousness there and you think you found alien life on the moon? Or I, I think my consciousness ended up in a hallway uh, in a facility. And all these things I'm telling you, I haven't told anybody before. So this is, well, you're, you're getting this a lot is an of exclusive. I'm getting me. the Ed Lowe podcast exclusive you, you, from you, you Mark are, Hunter you are, Brooks. You're getting a lot out of me. <laughs> this is, no, this is interesting because I, how does, how does one and, and, project? And, and, I, and I was going to say, and I want to talk about this more. So this is okay. Okay, good. I, I I'm, I'm glad but how does one project your consciousness that far that that's some of the things that you can do like with remote viewing mm -hmm. there there's actually an organization that um teaches remote viewing it's called irva mm -hmm. it's irva.org the international remote viewing association and that's uh, what that's what this is called remote viewing when you do this it's it's a form of it but it, it's it's like also a form of out of body experience too, is that you can go out of body to a particular location, or you can project your consciousness to a particular location, or you can that's that's more subtle is you can sense, um, I don't know how to put it, you can you can sense the uh, feelings of, of things that are going on there. It's more of an intuitive kind of function, but there's, and it's kind of like yin and yang, you know, there's, there's the forceful way of doing it and there's a subtle way of doing it. Mm -hmm. uh, but, and I'm trying to make all these things. And I, I wrote in my little thing, uh, my little blurb about myself is I'm trying to make the mystical and, and the paranormal easier to understand. Yeah. Trying to make it, trying to make it more understandable for people who don't understand it. Uh, so, 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 so now that you've seen that you've projected your consciousness to the moon, I mean, we've never heard anybody say that there was alien life on the moon. Did that change? Like, did you, do you think that there is now that you've done that? All I can say is what I saw, but I didn't yeah. see any alien creatures there. Oh, okay. Okay. Now, the park, I've never heard of the park. So is that kind of like a purgatory? It's also called Focus 27. And it's a particular place that you can go if you go, if you take courses at one of these uh, organizations. 
No. The, okay, wait. Hold on. I, I thought you there, focus twenty seven is where you go when you die. There's places. Yeah, that's where you. Oh, okay. People go when they first die, but they go different. My understanding of it is they go different places after that. But you get a a particular place initially that you land in sitting on a park bench and somebody comes up and says, Hey, you're dead. You know, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? Da, 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 da. That's, that's a very high level thing. But that whole idea is not to just scare you to put you in a whole different, um, whole different situation. Now I will say there's another thing too, if people are interested in this, um, there's a, um, I don't know how to describe it. It, it's like a group of, of people who have very high level uh, abilities. And um, some of them do things that they, the name of it is called in, Invisible Helpers. Hmm. And uh, there's a book by uh, Charles Leadbeater, C.W. Leadbeater. It's about 100 years old where he talks about it. It's titled Invisible Helpers. But I don't know if, if you know people or if people on the podcast have heard people say, you know, well, like I was at a really low point in my life and, and I was thinking about doing this or thinking about doing that. And then all of a sudden somebody came up and talked to me and we talked for a couple hours and they convinced me not to do this or not to do that. And uh, I turned around to look at something and when I turned back, they were gone, you know, or someone hmm. who was in a dangerous situation and maybe a fire in their house and somebody came in and, and helped them get out of the fire or avoid, you know, the dangers and stuff. And then they disappeared. Um, you know, that, that, that's actually, or could be people who, uh, people who are living on, on the planet now who are helping folks, uh, either consciously or unconsciously while they're sleeping, their, their consciousness is helping people, uh, do things at night. And, uh, there was a, a guy who wrote a book called the night bell. And he was talking about uh, soldiers in World War II and World War World War One, and uh, he was saying that uh, the amount of people who died, you know, on one particular day was so much that it strained the Invisible Helper Force worldwide. People who were getting knocked out of their bodies uh, so fast, you know, and and being in this fearful, scared fit, you know, going up into the afterlife that it strained the invisible helper force that tried to escort people who didn't know how to get to the afterlife up there or who were knocked out of their bodies while they were still, you know, in the prime of their life and not at the end of their life, you know, wow. which is, yeah. So that, that was an interesting book. So, and, this... and most, most, most people who are skeptics and stuff and people who mm -hmm. aren't really into this, they don't know about all these books. But, right. but they're there. And I, I want to say that for people who are interested in it, they can find it. And for people who uh, work on it, they can find new things that will and, and people who would help them, you know, uh, at different points along their path that they're serious about uh, trying to develop their consciousness or develop their spirituality. And and I want to say it, it, it aligns with a lot of what um world religions teach and what scripture teaches and stuff. That's what I'm trying to explain, you know, in my books mm -hmm. and in the way I'm talking or talking to people is to say that science, religion, and the paranormal, they're all part of the same worldview. Trying to roll that back to that again. Yeah. So I want to go back real quick to this, um, 
So since you've learned how to how to project your consciousness, has there been anybody like you, you said you went to an institute to learn how to do this? Right. Right. Okay. So has there been do you know how far the farthest someone has been able to do that would be? People have gone throughout the solar system. Really? Yes. It, and, I mean, I'm just and, curious. In, is, in books in books that they've written here. Hold on. I can I can read you some stuff from my book. Not trying to sell my book, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Same with plug. Yeah. Um, there, there was uh, a, a couple quotes that, um, I mean, even back to the 1600s, there's people that have talked about this, and uh, most of them don't don't get the traction or the the exposure with what they say. Um, wait a minute. Okay. So this is, this is from uh, Robert Monroe's book, Ultimate Journey. And Robert Monroe was an out-of-body explorer and, a, and an author. And he said, if there are intelligent beings in the physical universe, we failed to find them. And he was doing out-of-body exploration. Uh, in the non-physical universe, it was an entirely different matter. We encountered hundreds, if not thousands, most of them non-human. Wow. Uh, Charles Charles Leadbeater in the astral plane on uh, pages 29 to 106, when he talks about inhabitants of the astral, he said, we must now attempt to fill in the figures to describe the inhabitants on the astral plane. The immense variety of these entities makes it exceedingly difficult to arrange and tabulate them. Perhaps the most convenient method will be to divide them into three great classes, the human, the non-human, and the artificial. Hmm. And then Leadbeater talked about this saint or about entities on the mental plane as well. And he said, in our endeavor to describe the inhabitants of the mental plane, it will perhaps be well for us to divide them on the same three great classes chosen for the in the manual and the astral plane, the human, the non-human and the artificial through the subdivision, though the subdivisions will naturally be less numerous in this case uh, than in that since the products of man's evil passions, which bulk so largely there can find no place here in the mental. Wow. And then uh, Emanuel Swedenborg, who was a philosopher and an out-of-body traveler who lived between 1745 or in the 1700s, let me put it that way. He, he wrote about his spiritual experiences uh, between 1745 and 1765, and he wrote four volumes of books about them. And he said, in general, it must be maintained that all things I've written in this book have not been written in any other way than from actual experience, from conversation with spirits and angels, from thought communicated as tacit speech. For I have in every case perceived their presence. Wow. So have you in your work and your spiritual experiences had conversations with angels? That's a good question. Um, thoughts and emphasis on particular focused on particular objects and things, sometimes some, uh, telepathic speech over the years, but not like me sitting and standing in front of an angelic being, hmm. but, but you need to ask the question, what, what do you define as an angelic being? Anybody non-physical, you know, uh, an angel with wings, uh, and a harp. Or, uh, you know, what, what would you call that? Because if, if you say anything non-physical as an angel and, and you can look at it that way, then uh, there would be much more of a possibility of communications with them. 
Yeah, I think what I view as an angel would be something like, for example, you know, Mary and jo Joseph getting an angel coming and saying, hey, by the way, Mary, that Immaculate Conception thing's legit. She's not just making that up. Right. You know, like, yeah. you know, something like that, or the angel Gabriel coming to the shepherds and saying, hey, you know, Savior's been born. Right. want to go check it out. And, so, and, and you can say the appearance and disappearance of those beings is on a wave-based reality. It's them coming into that frequency and moving out of that frequency. Mm -hmm. they, didn't, they didn't change. They didn't fly away or whatever. They just disappeared because they changed the frequency of their body. So here's a question for you, being that you are Southern Baptist, and I have to ask this because of my and and, and Church of Christ. I grew up yeah, Southern yeah. Baptist. I've been going right. to a Church of Christ. They're they're Southern Baptists who sing a cappella. Okay, for, for okay. We don't know. You got it. Well, let me let me ask you because I know I noticed when I was in Indiana that there were a lot of Baptists and Pentecostals right. who were not super super excited about Mormon missionaries. Um, so I don't know how much you know about the Mormon story of Joseph Smith and and his visions of God and the Book of Mormon and the angel Moroni. Mm -hmm. So based on this wavelength thing, would you say that that's certainly possible, that that could have all happened? Certainly possible. I've, I've reviewed some of the videos on it, kind of warming okay. up for this podcast, but mm. certainly possible. You know, mm -hmm. Jesus could appear in North America. You could have had, you know, all sorts of different groups that could come. You could have angels appear and disappear. Mm -hmm. And I would say yes. Yeah, because in the there's a there's a book called Joseph Smith History, which is part of our canon, uh -huh. and he reads he tells the story about um, the angel Moroni appearing to him and telling him, right. coming to his room three times to tell him about right. the Book of Mormon, and then it talks about how he disappeared up into a conduit up into his room, and I'm like, that sounds very mystical you know what i mean like um and which makes sense because at the time back in the 1820s when he was 1820s and 30s i mean there was mm -hmm. a lot of mysticism going on in upper state mm -hmm. new york so that would make sense mm -hmm. to describe it that way yeah but, but that but all I, makes sense compared to what you're doing too i, I would i would say it's wave-based physics appearance mm -hmm. and disappearance just frequency in frequency out mm -hmm. and uh and and also too this this is another thing too you can ask about how did the pyramids get built Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things that uh, I, I like to say when you talk about mass, what is mass mm -hmm. in physical objects? Um, there was one scientist who uh, said something that I really liked. And he said that um, think about mass in terms of angular momentum, like the wheels turning on a bicycle is what keeps mm -hmm. you upright when you're moving uh, on your bike or like a gyroscope. That's what keeps it moving in one direction and makes it really hard to turn in any other direction. Is uh, angular momentum could be what's creating mass in objects, and so if you look at the atomic level, you have three quarks and a proton, and three quarks and a neutron, and those those quarks spin. So if you can imagine the spinning occurring in three different axes, an x, y, and z axis, um, that that spinning could create the cumulative effect of the spinning of those quarks and the protons and neutrons of atoms that become molecules that become solids or, or liquids or, or gases or whatever uh, could be what's causing the mass that you find in, in rocks that make them hard to pick up or objects that make them hard to pick up. But one of the things, if you could say that you could stop the spinning of quarks, uh, if you stop that spin, then whatever mass you have, it becomes massless. Hmm. And that could be a way that, you know, the Egyptians moved these 
20 ton blocks of concrete is they just, they were able to stop the spin of the quarks in the con in the granite so that it became weightless and then it became easy to move. Hmm. Wow. And that was, that's and that's, that's wave, wave physics. So, and, and I'll, I'll give you another one is uh, wave particle duality. That was a famous, the double slit experiment. If you've ever heard of that, um, mm -hmm. is to where if, if you don't observe photons that they'll create a wave pattern on a, on a, uh, let's say like a, a digital camera plate, you know, like a back end plate that captures the image through the lenses and stuff. Uh, you fire photons at that, uh, back of that digital camera plate and you go through two slits and you don't observe it, that the photons will form an interference pattern on the, on the target. But if you observe it, they form particles and people have been confused about that for decades. But one way you can look at it from a wave based perspective is Think of, of FM radio, and I don't know if you know the difference between FM radio and AM radio, is AM radio is really just spiral waves going through the air, but FM radio has a carrier wave going at a particular frequency, and then the um, actual sound is just the increase or decrease in the density or in the, in the distances between, uh, I don't know what they call it, different parts of the waves, the longitudinal waves in FM radio. But the key part about FM is, is the carrier wave. So imagine photons are being shot out from the sun to the earth and that there's multiple dimensions and multiple realities on the earth. If photons don't have a carrier wave, they can hit and, and uh, be seen in all realities and all dimensions. But if you observe them, you're going to impart that carrier wave on that photon and that's what will make it appear as a particle but if you don't have a carrier wave it can appear at, at multiple frequencies and it'll appear as a wave but if you observe it you're imparting a carrier wave on it at a particular frequency which make it look like a particle hmm. is that is that that's an I, idea I, it, yeah. it's it's something yeah, that somebody wants to do an experiment on it yeah i don't know if i follow I don't know if I'm smart enough. That was the thing that I find so interesting about you too, is that, um, you know, you uh, have, you know, managed several business projects for fortune 100 companies. You have an MBA from New York university. Yeah. I mean, you're a really intelligent guy and I assume running intelligent circles. When you talk to business people, like if you had a chance to talk to them about this stuff, what are they, what's their reaction? I, I took an early retirement from my job in 2015, and that's oh. when my first book came out. So oh, I, yeah. I, I call the book author stuff my swan, my swan career, or, or not swan song career, but my uh, encore career. There we go. Got it. Uh, so, uh, but it, it's, it's a totally different thing uh, for me, totally different line of business, line of work, but it's more reflective of who I am, I think. Do you else. do you ever hear from old colleagues who hear about your work and do they ever respond and say anything about it? Like I I haven't been uh, forthcoming with old colleagues about stuff. Uh, it's mostly I've been talking to uh, uh, people who are more spiritual or more metaphysical because yeah. they more readily understand what I've done. Do you, are you are you married? Do you have kids? Uh, divorced. Okay. Uh, in twenty thirteen. Oh, okay. All and right. I think, and you could look at it from a spiritual standpoint is that 
that w- that time alone was necessary for me to start writing because I needed the solitude in which to write and do the research and thought. So sure. from a lifetime look or view of it, that that was necessary for me to do what I've done. And that if I didn't have that solitude or if I didn't have that separation, I wouldn't have been able to write or even come up with the ideas that I have. Now you're, uh, how long were you married? 27 years. Okay. And do you, do you have kids? I have a daughter. Okay. So you were having these spiritual experiences while you were married. Did your yes. wife, did your wife, was she signed? Did, was she on board with this? Did she think you were, you know, how did the, she react? I, I think the, the more I got into it, the more distant we became. Mm. And I, and I mentioned this to you before we got on, uh, on the podcast here is that there was a study that a professor in North Texas University, I believe, did about mm-hmm. couples where one partner had had a near-death experience and what happened to the marriage. And the result of the study was is that 68% of the marriages ended in divorce. Okay. And, you know, we had talked about that, but I think it's because the worldviews shifted to such an extent that it was hard to uh, be on the same page anymore. Yeah. And, you're, and, you're, and that's why I feel like, and I've seen that happen with people who, where one, one uh, partner has had a, a transformative spiritual experience, um, you know, or has, has done something with the spiritual or the metaphysical that the other one hasn't. And mm-hmm. they, they hang around for a couple years, you know, and go to the meetings and they they attend and, and speak up in the things. But eventually I think they end up uh, growing more distant. And it's a very serious struggle that couples have to do or go through when uh, one has this change of worldview. Yeah. It's, How about your daughter? Does your daughter, what does your daughter think about all this? Um, she knows about it, but we don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I got to imagine that shifting this way, especially, you know, and, I, and, I can to the, t- and to the degree that I have. Right. And I can tell you that, you know, even just um, when you're talking to somebody, like when you're just talking about religious experience with mm-hmm. somebody who is not religious, mm-hmm. um, it's tough. Yes. You know, even if you're not talking about some stuff like as theoretical as you are talking about, if you're just talking about basic you know, a religious experience where you feel the spirit of God working in your life and describing that to somebody who hasn't experienced it. Uh, You really, you're just, you're, you're speaking. It's almost like you're speaking a completely different language. They just don't understand it. Correct. And I I think that's, that's what the uh, rulers said to Paul when he was uh, on his way to Rome, you Mm. know, as they said, your intelligence has made you crazy. Because he was talking and he was talking about things that they had never heard of and that seemed so right. foreign to them. But well, well, what do you hope? So so you your goal with this is to ultimately change the world's view into a wave base idea, change physics to a wave based model. Um, not my well, it, it's it's a goal, but not necessarily for me. I think I've gone about as far as I can go with it on my own. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I want to say to, you know, all the scientists and all the researchers out there, you know, I'll be happy to share whatever I've 
done or whatever I know with you to give you the information to create the hypotheses and the experiments to try and prove or disprove this stuff. Um, and I think it's, it's at the point now where other people need to run with it. If people believe in it or have a passion for it, I'd love to work with them to try and help. But it's, uh, I've kind of run to the end of the road with my research and I'd really need to tell people more about it now and uh, show through what I've written, you know, how everything works together and is internally consistent, like I've said before, but to let them go out and actually try and prove it or disprove it. And I think that's where we are. Mm. And, so, and I don't, I don't think it'll take one or two years. I'm thinking, you know, like a couple decades because yeah. it, it's such a fundamental change, but I did want to bring up that fundamental nature of the change that it's below the worldview. It's, it's the, the uh, foundations that support the worldview that are changing. And um, I spent my years of work in project management in, in IT, in uh, computer science. And when we had production problems, uh, it always turned out that the longer the problem lasted, the more simple the fix was because people had assumed something that was one way and it wasn't. Mm. And so that's why I want to kind of impart to people is that, you know, people have struggled with so many things, quantum mechanics, you know, with uh, physics and paradigms and things for so long. And it may be that the reason why is because the, the thing that's not correct is something so fundamental and so below where people are looking that mm -hmm. they need to go back and check the very fundamentals to see if they work or not, see if they're correct or not. So that's one thing I'd like to leave with people. Interesting. Well, let me ask you, um, I ask everybody three questions. Uh-oh. Uh, and I want to ask them to you. I would, and these are kind of more basic life questions. The first one is, what do you think is your mo uh, your biggest success in life? I I think I haven't had my biz biggest my biggest success yet. I okay. I uh, I think the one that I'm working on right now with this book and trying to promote this idea is going to be uh, my biggest challenge, biggest opportunity. Okay. What do you think was your biggest failure in life and what did you learn from it? Mm. So when, uh, uh, when I graduated from college, um, 22 years old, I had been president or vice president of 29 different organizations. Wow. Yeah. So I was really big on, on that. And actually when I got to Manhattan, I worked in Manhattan for 18 years. And my first job in Manhattan, I, uh, I actually prayed to God. I said, let me fail. You mm -hmm. know, let me experience failure. And uh, I didn't realize that, you know, I, I was starting to see or starting to sow the seeds of, of uh, long work hours and things that Manhattan kind of does with people, you know, mm -hmm. is sowing the seeds of, of uh, issues in my marriage you know, that would manifest itself about 20 years later. But I had a two-hour commute each way, you know, to work and back every day. So punching the clock for me was like a 12 or 13 hour day. And mm -hmm. I did that five days a week mm -hmm. and uh, only had, you know, a couple days to be home. And when my daughter was little, I would leave before she woke up and came home after she went back to bed. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have a lot of time there. And when I moved to the city that I'm in now, the, one of the big reasons was uh, to give me more time to spend with the family. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. what I wanted to do. So, but, uh, that, that was one of the big struggles for me. I think that was probably the biggest. 
but yeah. but also it, it was it was to a degree too it was arrogance and pridefulness mm-hmm. you know and had saying that you know i've been so successful on stuff and and i think i needed to be knocked down from that and that was another thing too that i feel like i've i've gotten gotten through or gotten by mm. Yeah, you know, that's interesting. As an attorney myself, uh, long hours are just part of the gig. Uh, mm-hmm. Luckily, over the, you know, it was, it's funny, I've told the story that <clears throat> it took me because I had to work all the way through. So I took me about five years to get through undergrad working full time. Mm-hmm. And then I, I did a four year law school program in the evening and worked full time. Yeah. Where I'm at now, I'm my partner at the firm that I started law clerking at. And yeah. so but uh so it took me nine years just to get to the starting line of the 60 to 70 hour weeks you know and um and uh it does take a toll you know um it really does and i'm lucky now that i've gotten to a place where i still work the long hours don't get me wrong but you know my my four kids are 16 14 12 and 10 and you know i'm realizing how little time we really have right them and and also too one thing that uh, I I always encourage younger people to talk to older people mm-hmm. because there's consequences of decisions that take uh, ten or twenty years to manifest themselves and uh, you know you can't see that as a twenty year old or a twenty five year old just starting your your life but mm-hmm. some of the things you decide to do or choose not to do can have an impact in your thirties or forties or fifties later isn't on in your that, life is, isn't that true. And, it's so uh, true. It, it's talk, important I, to, to have those conversations with people. I talk about that particularly in the time interest of money with my kids. When I talk to them about finances and I go, man, you know, I was lucky enough to pick up a book called Automatic Millionaire when I was 23 years old. Mm-hmm. That just, it didn't teach you anything novel other than just here's debt. Here's what that does. Here's the compound right. interest of money. Here's why you would put a 401k. If you put $5 a day into this thing, this is how much money you'd have. Just little things like that where I went, wow. And, it, and I was like, I wish I would have started when I was 18. You know what I right. mean? Just right. because the time interest. And, and I think there's a lot of things like that. You you know, the more you invest into things uh, that are that are eternal, you know, right. uh, the better off you'll be. So, right. And, and that's what I'm doing right now. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm investing in the eternal. Mm-hmm. So I'm, and I've been lucky to be able to do things I was passionate about my whole life. Mm-hmm. Uh, before I was in project management, I was in network management and, uh, I actually put in the second token ring network in Manhattan, oh, uh, wow. right when it was introduced, but I built, you know, uh, big ethernet networks. I built wide area networks, managed business networks, and then, uh, got into project management with Y2K. And uh, did project management at this company for, you know, 15, 15 odd years. But I've been passionate about all those. And I think that's essential for people. You need to be passionate about what you do, even if it's shoeing horses. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you have a passion for doing that, do that. It, you don't have to worry about the, the cash. And I think a lot of people, when they get older, they realize. And, and a lot of times I, I tell people, you have to have it to know you don't need it. You have oh. to have celebrity to know you don't need celebrity. You have to have money to know that you don't need money. Uh, yeah, and, and it comes back to just the very basics of, you know, family, friends, uh, you know, and being being comfortable in your life. But you don't have to have a lot to be comfortable. 
it's funny, you know, you bring that up. Um, I remember when I was a kid, because my parents, I, my parents are still together. They're great. They're, they're doing good. My dad's amazing now, but, you know, he struggled. He had a pretty rough childhood and ended up with a bit of a drug problem that yeah. took him a long time to, to get rid of. And, uh, um, you know, so when I grew up, uh, I thought, I think in the back of my head, I don't think I ever verbalized it, but I just thought, I think I always thought all my parents ever fought about was either drugs or money. Like they fought about it all the time. Mm -hmm. And so I just thought to myself, well, if I just don't do drugs and I have all the money, then things will be fine. Yeah. And then you, and then I became, you know, I got, I was successful way faster than I ever could have imagined. I mean, wow. like, you know, I, I, uh, I always thought I was going to be successful, but I did not expect what happened as quickly as what happened. Mm -hmm. And so when it did, I remember looking around and being like, you know, uh, oh, you mean it wasn't the big house? Maybe it's the nice car. Oh, it's not the nice mm -hmm. car. Maybe it's the pinball mm -hmm. machine. Maybe I'll build a movie theater in my house, right. you know? And, uh, and then I just realized, no, none of, I mean, it took some pretty significant life events that I don't really share a lot about to, for me to finally realize, no, what really matters is the people around you, the people you love. Absolutely. And what really and what really matters is spending the time with them. And I and I don't I don't regret anything I did because I have a I have an amazing life now. But um, you know, in my and where my life is going is so much better than I could have ever imagined. And it took a lot of things, a lot of bad things to get there. But mm -hmm. but yeah, you know, I think that it, it, you're like you said earlier. It takes you getting those getting everything you thought you wanted to realize. That you you didn't need, need any of that. Right. Yeah. Right. So last question I ask everybody, and that is eventually at some point in your life, you're going to pass away and you're going to move on to that metaphysical plane. Right. And there's, there's going to be a, uh, uh, there's going to be a funeral and someone's going to give a eulogy. What would be the one thing that you hope someone says about you in your eulogy? He, he did what he loved throughout his life. Yeah. That is so important, isn't it? It is. Like, and and I didn't plan it that way. It's just the way things happen. Yeah. But I'm I'm thankful for that. But I work was never work for me. It was always play. See, that's awesome. That's why you could work those twelve and thirteen hour days because you were having fun. <laughs> I was having a ball. I literally was having a ball, and they were yeah. paying me for it. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Mr. Brooks, thank you very much. Uh, so again, tell us uh, Earth's Hidden Reality. Where can we find it? You can find it on Amazon and it's under Mark Hunter Brooks and you can see digital copies of my first three books as well. You you may see an, an ebook up there in a little while and um, I'm hoping to work on a fifth printed book uh, that would get more into biology and psychology on a wave-based reality. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us. For those who've made it the almost two hours we've been talking, subscribe, subscribe. We're coming up. We are actually coming up. Uh, well, I don't know when I'm going to be dropping this one. So we're, we're right at about a year. This podcast has been going on and I've got some things in the works for next year and also working on a pretty cool one year anniversary episode. So we got a lot of fun stuff coming up. So keep watching, keep uh, subscribing, following wherever you hear podcasts. And uh, Mr. Brooks, when your next uh, uh, book comes out, let me know and we'll have you back. Oh, I appreciate it very much. Thank you. All right. Thank you.